708 on CJAD. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller for our last episode of this year. Josh, how are you? Excellent, as always. In the end of 2012, boy, time does pass by. Indeed, uh, heading into our fourth year, and uh, what better time to, what better person to end the year than on a really sweet, delicious note? And it's time for our annual checkup with uh, Michael Eskenazi. He's the founder of Felix and Norton. How are you, Michael? I'm doing terrific. Great. So, uh, first, for those that don't know, I find it hard to believe that there's anyone that doesn't know what Felix Norton is. But uh, for those that don't, uh, tell us a bit about uh, your company. We're a gourmet cookie company that has been a Montreal institution now for getting close to 28 years. Makes me feel old. <laughs> 28 years. Now, now, again, Dan, you're perfectly correct. Who doesn't know what Felix Norton Cookie is? But it's beyond that. So, so Michael, maybe you can tell people, the listener, it's not just what you had cookies 28 years ago. Today, it's a little bit more than that. Well, today the company has branched out. Uh, we are marketing ourselves in a, in a few new ways, a few different ways in the last couple of years. Uh, very proud to say we were the first food truck in Montreal with our uh, mobile bakery that uh, spends its summers at the old port and travels around and serves fresh warm cookies to uh, people all over the city. And uh, we now sell our cookie dough uh, in, a, in a couple of different uh, chains, including all of the IGA and Bunny Schwa group. And uh, as well, we're now in Costco stores. Now, we'll, we'll come back to dealing with big, bo big box stores a little later, but I know that 28 years ago you started, there, it went really strong for quite a number of years. Then there was a little bit of a, of a lull. Maybe you can talk a little bit about rebranding, rebringing back the Felix Norton name that might have been lost for a few years in, the, in between. Well, we went through a bit of a tough time. Uh, there was a period where we, we opened too many stores. We had to close some of them. We ran into some financial difficulties. Eventually, the stores were sold to uh, the Sweet Factory group uh, that operates candy shops in the, in the major malls. And they had an exclusive right to use the brand, uh, the name Felix & Norton, for a number of years. And there wasn't much that I was allowed to do, even though I still owned the name of uh, and the recipes of the company I started. What happened was that uh, eventually we renegotiated our contract, and uh, I decided to, uh, to to take this new direction towards the grocery stores. And part of that was uh, updating the image and 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 and, and, and giving ourselves a, a more attractive, a more modern look. Is that a difficult thing to escape from the old? You have this mindset. You've created this phenomenal product. That of course everybody or so many people, so many people in Quebec and beyond, have associated with. Is it tough to to tweak it, to change it, to to make it look a little bit different? Where did you? Where was the inspiration from? Did you lean on some people for ideas? How did that come about? Well, first of all, we uh, we didn't tweak the product. The product is still exactly the same uh, cookie that we that I made in my little sunbeam mixer in my kitchen more than 28 years ago. No change. No change. It is exactly this, all the same ingredients, and uh, it's still just basically a, a really good homemade cookie with butter, sugar, eggs, flour, and lots of really good Belgian chocolate. But, and, and and as for the, I guess the picture, the logo, the colors. Well. When I wanted to uh, take the new direction and, and, and really try to bring our products into uh, supermarkets and, and, and mass marketing, 
um, I, I, I sought out a designer whose work had really impressed me. I had seen his work uh, um, on products that I said, wow, that really jumps off the shelves. And I tracked him down. I found, it, I found the manufacturer of the, of the packaging, and I said, hey, who designed this? And he put me in touch with him and sat down with him and said, I'd really like you to take a look at Felix and Norton. And with the ideas, did you start them off with a base? Do you, when you're looking for ideas or fresh ideas, do you go to the, whether it's a third party or whoever it may be, and feed them with what your thoughts are? You say, you know what, here, go look and come back to me so I'm not biased or I, I don't prejudice you in any way. Well, th this particular uh, um, uh, designer, um, and it's you can't just call him a designer. He's, he's, he's really a branding expert. His name is Jimmy Bertolet. And uh, he had uh, he was the one who interviewed me. I don't think that I guided him as much as he guided me. He we sat down and we spent many many hours together where he asked questions and and tried to understand what the brand represented and what what I thought people really what were the important issues what were the the emotions that our brand brought out, and he took copious notes and and built. Uh, and came back with all sorts of diagrams to show us what were the key elements and and before he even started to draw or sketch or or, or design anything it was really uh, a long process to understand what our brand was about did you learn anything in that process a lot what uh, was the thing that stood out the most um it it, it was the emotional attachment uh, that, that we realized that a lot of people had to our brand, uh, that, that people uh, loved Felix and Norton, and uh, we we really had to respect that in terms of uh, not making too dramatic a change. We uh, you know we couldn't go from Royal Bank of Canada to RBC. Uh, we couldn't just call ourselves F and N. Uh, we we really had to keep those two guys and uh, that 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 design so it was clearly recognizable and and people would instantly realize what it was but it still needed some some tweaking. I want to talk about those two guys and how they came about and also Josh we're going to deal with uh, working with your spouse and uh, and some advice uh, if other people are are in that situation because many are. Seven eighteen on today's entrepreneur inspiring stories from outstanding business people Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you and our guest this evening. Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton Cookies. And uh, Michael, tell us about these uh, two characters, Felix and Norton, and uh, how they came about and, uh, and how that this whole uh, brand started. Well, when we were setting up, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and myself, and at the very beginning, my best friend, who was also an, an initial uh, partner in the business. We, uh, we looked around at uh, a couple of, there were a couple of cookie stores in the States that had inspired us, and they were all named after the owner. And uh, so we thought about calling it Michael's Cookies or even Michelle's, uh, but that didn't inspire us, so we didn't think it would inspire a following. And uh, eventually, uh, with the help of uh, some, some good marketing people that we, uh, uh, we met, we uh, came up with the idea of having two guys, uh, one English, one French. A chocolate chip cookie is something that is a very American dessert, uh, like apple pie, baseball, and chocolate chip cookies. Uh, so Mr. Norton is a, an American baker, and he's the, where the chocolate chip cookie comes from. And he met up with his friend, Monsieur Felix, who was a chef pâtissier from France, 
who uh, said, hey, Norton, if I'm going to make cookies with you, they better be the best cookies. Uh, I don't want uh, any uh, ordinary cookie. And so he's the guy who brings the whole quality side in with the Belgian chocolate and the all butter and uh, just you know the finest ingredients he could find. You know, I'm amazed the product quality in a, in a small business is huge. And to maintain consistency uh, throughout several years, let alone 28 years, is, is quite outstanding. How do you manage? How do you control your quality in the in the various manufacturing facilities that you've touched along the way? What have been kind of the the, the areas that you've learned to focus on, or to make sure that that you have that consistent quality? Well, it's interesting because each time that I have uh, changed menu uh, manufacturing facilities, and it's probably been six or seven times. Um, there is an initial learning curve uh, because even though all the ingredients going into the mixer is the same, it's a different mixer. It's a different person pushing the buttons on the mixer. And so there does require me to uh, stand over and watch over them and say, no, 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 this has to go like this. No, we're not getting the right color. We're not getting... And, uh, you know, a couple little bumps in the road and then... Uh, I think I get their respect, and they realize uh, that my way is the right way. And that there actually is an art. Yes. And I guess there is a job of taste testing. Yeah, I, I still uh, I still have to do that. Uh, it's, it's a tough job, but I still manage to uh, find a way to do that. Just about every day I think I've had a cookie for... About 28 years. If you need any help with that, Josh and I are, we'll, we'll volunteer, no problem. Well, I, 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 I noticed that already <laughs> with the cookies I brought in. It's a good thing it's radio. So when, when we're talking about the, the manufacturing facilities, and there's components, there's machinery, there's people, there's electronics, there's ingredients, which is the, I won't say the most important, but which do you have to focus on the most? Which is the, the biggest area that might fall apart? That's a real tough question to answer. I don't know if I can just snap my fingers and say because each time there's been just a different little issue, and it's usually something little. It's not like there's a, there is something big. But uh, when it comes to making doughs, just about any kind of dough, uh, whether that's bread or cake or or, or cookie dough, it's uh, mixing time can have a dramatic effect if you over or under mix something it uh it can really affect the texture and the way it ri way a product rises and so i think that's got a lot to do with it and i would imagine there's a training part you're training the people you've taken the time over the years to train a number of different people H have you kind of perfected ways have you improved the techniques of saying of trying to get through to people and say no that really there's there's a certain way to do it um, yeah, one of the things that, that I really try uh, uh, I, I, ever when when I had my own manufacturing and even now, you know, when uh, when I made the fir those first batches of cookies in my kitchen, I would twenty or thirty cookies at a time, and now we make batches of about oh uh, three or four hundred kilos, so that would be you know many thousands of cookies. Mm -hmm. It's it's very you know these very large mixers, and I and I try very hard to make sure that the employees understand that don't look at it as this big thing because eventually that's going to turn into one little cookie that somebody's going to put in their mouth and so any even the slightest imperfection in one little corner of that mixer is still going to end up as somebody's cookie so we have to every little detail is really important 
and getting that cookie to, to the consumer. That's what we'll talk about next when we come back. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD with guest Michael Eskenazi of Felix & Norton at 723. 7.25 on Today's Entrepreneur. Michael Eskenazi here from Felix & Norton. And uh, Josh, I kind of want another cookie. Well, I think they're in the control room, so maybe <laughs> somebody will bring them over if they're not already done with. <laughs> there's the cookies, there's making them, there's manufacturing, there's making sure the, the quality control is there all the time. Uh, and then there's getting it to the consumer. And Michael, earlier in the, in the program, you mentioned yeah, it was it was more in the, the sweet factory stores and the, the kind of local shops that did it. But then you, you moved in more in the big box stores, you, the, the IGAs and the Costco. There must be a learning experience, a big jump of, of whether it's formality or what have you, in going from the smaller stores to major shipping. Oh, in so many uh, respects, um, I, I, I think that uh, I mean, what I'd like to tell you about is how, how first I, I really dreamed of getting into Costco. Everybody thinks big. And I went to see Costco and they said, no, thanks. We're not interested. You're too expensive. Uh, we, we sell cookies for ha half or a third of that price. And we just can't. Our, our, our members are not interested. But then I, I, I made the deal with IGA, and they believed in the brand, and they put my cookie dough out, and it's we sell 500 grams of cookie dough for eight ninety nine is the regular price at IGA. And the IGA also sells a Pillsbury cookie dough, which is also 500 grams, for about three twenty nine or three forty nine. So we're not 10% we're not more or 20% more. We're almost triple the price. Yet we are now outselling Pillsbury and IGA stores. But there, there must have gone been a little work that's gone into that. It just doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of work. Uh, it, 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 you're right. It doesn't just sell by itself, so it has to be supported. And we have put in a whole program of marketing, uh, everything from sampling in the store so people try it. And when they try it, they go, wow. Uh, promoting it with our, our cookie truck and with coupons that we were giving out all summer on our cookie truck that would... Uh, get people to go into an IGA and try it. And IGA itself, we have a wonderful relationship with, and they promote it uh, often. In fact, uh, it's on sale this week uh, and in their flyer and uh, with uh, with signs in the store that... Uh... Go uh, ahead. No, I was just going to say, I wanted to pick up on your point about giving away things for free, because every time I see you, you're always giving someone a cookie. And, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are hesitant to give their product away for free, but you do that quite often. It, it's... It's it's what I do. I mean, it's always been what I do. It's it's uh, it's the best business card I could have, and and it is a product that that separates itself from the others that are out there. And once you try it, you you'll you'll remember it. What's the most important lesson you learned in either getting that foot in the door at an IGA or Costco, whichever one you want, and keeping it there and making sure that product runs and rolls efficiently? off the shelf you uh, you can never ease off you must continue it, even when it's selling well you invest and uh, in marketing and in sampling and in any way that you can to keep the name out there because when people walk into a supermarket there are thousands tens of thousands of products trying all trying to get their attention so you've got to find a way to to stay top of mind is store location important? Not the store location, location of the product in the store. 
yes, but uh, we know that we're in one of the weaker parts of the store. In, in the IGA, we, we are in the bakery department. Um, in the freezers in the bakery department, people go looking for our stuff all the time and say, we couldn't find it because they're looking in the freezers where all the other, the ice cream or the other uh, uh, frozen goods are. And we're, in, we're off in, in a corner uh, next to the, the freshly baked bread. It's a little less than ideal, but there's a lot of good reasons why we are there, and uh, perhaps we can talk about that after. I think it's a great idea to build up, and of course, working with your spouse and living to tell about it, even uh, though yes. even though she's not here tonight. <laughs> uh, Felix and Norton's Michael Eskenazi joining us on today's Entrepreneur. 7.34 on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, our last uh, show of the year, and uh, what better way to end the year than chatting with Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton, who brought in some of his cookies, of course, for us to enjoy. Uh, but we're talking about the product, and uh, how you sell the product is very interesting, too. You had stores uh, first when this brand uh, started. Now you're focusing more on wholesaling, going into supermarkets, and that in itself is a is a really uh, fascinating game, and it's 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 more complex than just putting things on shelves. I don't think, Josh, people fully realize how, how complex a system a grocery store is. Product placement is huge. Uh, and uh, So, Michael, product placement, the, the bakery section and the, the frozen bakery section, um, how, do you, how did you come about this? Well, what, what most people probably don't realize is there are so many more products out there that manufacturers make than you see on the shelves. Everybody is trying so hard. Uh, the buyers at grocery chains uh, have a constant stream of salespeople calling them saying, hey, I've got something I want you to sell for me. So what happens, like any supply and demand, there is so much more demand for shelf space than there is available shelf space. So what happens? The cost of it goes up. And in very popular places like freezers where there is really limited space, although they look big, there are so many more frozen products out there, you have to pay the grocery uh, chain uh, a fee to get your product listed. And the more demand there is for places like the, the, the dairy counter and the, uh, the, the uh, freezers, the more that amount can be. And that amount can be a couple of thousand dollars, it can be $10,000, it can be $50,000 just for them to put your product on the shelf. And if it doesn't sell, you, uh, no, it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. If you don't do the sales, you're out and you've lost that $50,000. However, in the bakery department, uh, it, it's there is not as much demand. There's not as many products out there that uh, there are some frozen bread doughs, there are some pies and and, and various specialty cakes that they do sell in the in the bakery department, but uh, IGA and the, and the and the team here saw us as an opportunity to uh, bring traffic to to a quiet part of the store because our brand uh, was so well known and it would be something that people would seek out and uh, and so they opened the doors to us at a very nominal cost uh, to uh, to put our products in there and that was. Of course, you know, as a as a a, a business that's you know we weren't in the in, in the big leagues anymore. We were re, uh, relaunching. Uh, we needed that break. Now, in dealing with these the, the the bigger box stores, you mentioned earlier, it's a constant pushing. It's a don't stop. It's a constant, I guess, a communication. Um, uh, you have to maintain a certain level of patience. You have to. 
like at what point did you were you were you frustrated at all at any point with the process before you you got through well uh, you know I, I mentioned that uh, a few years ago Costco was the first door I knocked on and they basically said thanks but no thanks and it took uh, two and a half years of uh, I won't say persistence, because otherwise they would have really uh, thrown me out the door if I would have been there every day or every week. But just regular communication, and oh, by the way, we're selling really well at IGA, and and you know what? I th- they they follow everybody in the industry follows what's going on, and and eventually they we we piqued their interest because uh, we were showing a track record. And uh, what happened was after a couple of years of me calling them, they called me and said, "Would you uh, can can we talk?" And that's what led uh, to us being uh, bringing our product into Costco uh, at the beginning of October. Now, speaking of persistence and patience, you're working with your spouse, Gina. Uh, and I'm sure there has to be a level of persistence and patience, well, and maybe she, more patience. She is one of the most patient people I've ever met. Uh, she must <laughs> be if she uh, <laughs> works with me. How is that? Now, you've been working with her. You said the product's been out for 28 years. You've been working with her for 28 years? Uh, yeah. The first few years that we were in business, she uh, she was working uh, at Dawson College, and she kept her job so that we had some uh, a stable income while we were growing the business. But once once uh, things were uh, looking stable and, and we, were, uh, we were profitable about uh, three years into the business, uh, she took the leap and uh, jumped in right beside me. You're working there side by side during the day. You go home side by side at night. Um, do you not get on each other's nerves? But do you? Is there a point in time where it's tough to have a personal or proper interchange? Is it always business all the time? I th- I think that where we noticed it being a problem wasn't so much between us. It was around the dinner table. It was in family situations where. Our kids would roll their eyes and say, can we talk about something else besides the cookie business? Hmm. Can we talk about me? (laughs) Which is kind of what they want to talk about most of the time anyway. Kids egocentric? I don't believe that for a second. (laughs) Did you you agree with each other all the time? Oh, we don't agree with each other a lot of the time. But we've been married for 33 years. Um... 32 and a half. And uh, we have learned to communicate a lot better than perhaps we did uh, many years ago. What was, you know, you you made it sound like we go to an office and we then come home from an office, but we run our business from our home. So we are at our business and at our home all the time and together all the time. Uh, What was harder was 15 years ago when we did have an office with, 25 or 30 employees in the office and there would be days where we would seriously disagree it might not have even been about uh, about a work subject we might have had an argument about anything and you could sense how uncomfortable and awkward it made some of the uh, the team the the employees because we weren't talking to each other or we were glaring at each other and they have to uh, still do their job mm-hmm. in a in a sort of awkward environment hmm. and i think that was pretty tough and and, uh, and often uh if i you know i w- a company still needs at least i believe that a company still needs a president a leader someone who ha- where the the buck stops here and sometimes i would put my foot down and tell gina that 
this was the way I wanted it to be. And in a marriage, the... You know, it's a little different. You're, you're equal. You're there, equal. There's no delicate way to say it. So, so, so when you're in that in that situation where you're just at a deadlock and you can't work it out and you can't compromise, do you then have the veto power because you were the original founder? No, no, not so much. <laughs> How Dan, silly of you, Dan. Dan, you're obviously you're not married. Obviously not. <laughs> uh, so, what happens when you guys are deadlocked? How do you work it out? We uh, sometimes may stomp off to our separate corners for a little while, and eventually reconciliation happens. There is no uh, strict formula, but eventually we we tr- keep talking until we understand, oh, okay, I didn't understand it that way, or there's a little bit of uh, um, kissing of... Uh, you know, derriere, yeah. water in the wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. till till we we understand each other and we're able to sell. One of us is able to sell our opinion to the other. Talking it out. You really, at the end of the day, you got to talk it out. Yeah. You can't. Silence doesn't work for anybody. No, you have to. You have to come to an understanding of and and I think that the many years of experience has also led us to understand that. Uh, giving in a little bit can can get a lot, and and again, it's it's open communication. It's it's making sure that it's not a silent treatment for days or weeks because that gets that doesn't get anybody anywhere. And the reality is, whether you're married partners or you're just you know regular arm's length business partners, it's pretty much amounts to the same thing. <laughs> There's no silent treatments. You got you got to talk it out. Yeah. But the plus side is the ability to. Uh, it has really helped us. We have really both helped each other in so many ways. And that's what we do all the time is we help each other. So when she sees me really overwhelmed, she just swoops in and says, what can I do? How can I take some pressure off of you? What can I uh, do to make your life easier or vice versa? We, we're we're uh, in ways that I, I don't know if, uh, if, you're, if you're a boss and you have employees, if your employees will really care that much if you're stressed out uh, they may just hide and what about the next generation how do they kind of interact with the business um well our younger daughter has been working for us uh, this summer she worked on the cookie truck and she was uh, absolutely amazing in terms of her uh devotion and uh her um uh, her maturity work ethic, yeah. work ethic yeah she 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 really uh uh, went way beyond her her years and and impressed me so much, and both of them, uh, both of our daughters are, um, they care and they're always, uh, I mean they're very proud uh, everywhere they go. They're known as the daughters of Felix and Norton, and uh, people have, uh, you know, so much fawning admiration. It's uh, and and they soak it up and they and they and they pass it on and they they they, they try to help uh, any way they can. The family that bakes together stays together. <laughs> How corny is that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about marketing after the break, Josh. Uh, Stephanie Darwish, a marketing advisor with Fuller Landau, will come in and uh, and we'll get some, some of Michael's thoughts as well about how to market your business on a shoestring budget. 748 on CJAD, today's entrepreneur with our guest Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton Cookies. And also we bring into the conversation Stephanie Darwish, marketing advisor with Fuller Landau, to talk about marketing on a shoestring budget, Josh. Now, 
there's so many businesses. I mean, entrepreneurs, everybody's been through it. They got to watch their budget. They got to make sure that they don't spend every dime. The bank is watching. They're watching. They're watching their pockets. But they want to get the product out. They want to get their service known. Steph, come on in. Let us know Hi. how what what kind of little tips and tricks can the average entrepreneur cling on to for that? Um, there are a few, and I'm going to challenge myself. I challenged myself in thinking about this, and I wasn't going to go immediately to the online world because... <laughs> we'll get there soon. We'll get there because it's obviously an obvious answer, and there's a ton of resources, but maybe just to challenge our thinking a bit to maybe not do some online stuff. Um, one of my favorite things, and I do it a lot at Fuller Landau, or I hope we do because we have some pretty relevant material, is to get the press involved. And if you get press coverage... If you get a reporter there, if you get someone to write about your story, not only does it get your name out there, but it gives you free content to post in your site too. So I love it when we do a radio show like this, and then I get to post it on my website. Is it tough to get to the press? Um, I think so sometimes, yes. I find, I don't know if I should say this, I find in Montreal sometimes it's pretty easy to get on the news. <laughs> we don't have... We don't have um, we don't have a lot of drama going on unless the mayor's retiring or resigning. <laughs> Michael, so, Michael, you've had some experience getting a Gazette, Gazette, and that was was it good? Was it good for you? Was it difficult oh, to get on? I, I mean, we've been really lucky. We've we've had so many uh, articles written about us and interviews, uh, TV interviews. But it, it starts with giving them a story that's interesting, giving them something that isn't just hey, talk about me and talk about my product. It, it, it's got to have some human interest or some something unusual, something fun, something that because reporters they have a job to do as well. They have to they have to write something every day, uh, and, and if you make their job a little easier by giving them something unique or different to talk about that they uh, that that they believe their readership will be interested in, well they'll 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 follow up and they'll uh, write write about you. Exactly. So. We have we send out press releases and we also do work with a public relations company. But if you don't have those resources available to you, um, sometimes I mean maybe Dan, you can help me out here. You, you call up a reporter or sure. Well, as, I mean, as someone on the other side of the fence, uh, you, I mean, uh, email is tech is usually the best way. Uh, but you have to keep in mind, uh, and this is something I you know I tell to to, to people who hire me to do this. I mean, journalists, uh, you know, have seconds really in order to to start to comprehend what you're trying to tell them so the you know you have to put a lot of effort into something just as simple as the email subject line and the first few words of whatever you're communicating to the media because uh here at cjd i might get 200 emails a day i don't have time to read a whole press release so you better attract my attention very quickly so you need that tagline you need some great semantics in the first few words to really draw that attention something snappy something new and something that you truly believe uh is newsworthy and and that that is worth the public's attention so what other items stephanie uh on a um, shoestring next is partnerships with other companies where you can not so much barter services but barter um publicity so if you are, for instance, a uh, an elite hockey league that is maybe not getting a lot of attention, but you have top-level athletes and you maybe partner with a local gym in Montreal, it's beneficial on both sides because the gym can then say, look at our facilities are so wonderful that elite athletes are coming to this gym. You're able to provide your elite athletes with a gym 
And then by that same token, by the gym advertising those your athletes, you're getting their name out there. And that was free. So actually, the, the only cost was to the gym because they're going to be paying for the memberships. <laughs> so if you could partner with a, a company where, that complements your services or your, your products, then that's a really great way to generate some publicity as well. All about leverage. Leverage what each of you have and make it mutually exactly. beneficial. Exactly. And, right. and I've seen, you know, Michael uh, with Gina at events, you know, uh, one was at a port tasting, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's a great idea because chocolate and port go very nicely together. Yeah. And that's, you know, just set up, bake a few cookies and, and the exposure is tremendous, I think. Uh, coming up on today's entrepreneur, we're going to talk, of course, some more about marketing with Stephanie Darwish and also get Michael Eskenazi's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. 755 Michael Eskenazi is here of Felix and Norton, as well as Stephanie Darwish, marketing advisor with Fuller Landau and Josh. We're talking about, uh, marketing on a shoestring budget and uh, a great way to do that. Stephanie uh, was saying is to sort of get out there a little bit into the community and not necessarily do overt traditional marketing. Uh, but to, to to be present and to even do good things for the community, even charitable things. Yeah, community involvement is a great way to get your name out there and see by seen by the public, especially if you're a local business looking at a local market. Um, I know I know Felix and Norton does a lot of community work. That's really great. Yeah, it's always been important it's ever, since, since the very beginning. We have always tried to give something back. I think that every business has. I mean, it's just part of uh, what you should be doing. You're, the, the people are your customers, and uh, you've got to help those less fortunate or those in need. Uh, and uh, we have a product that's pretty easy to give away and <laughs> help raise funds or put smiles on people's faces, so we're lucky that way. And it kind of comes back full circle because when you're – want to go to the press and you want to talk about something well not only is it could be a great product but it's a it's a community give back so kind of can all tie in together yeah that's so true you're right that's that is kind of newsworthy if you're doing a 10,000 cookie giveaway to needy children for cookies. you're making michael nervous right now yeah. <laughs> 10,000 cookies it's a lot of cookies it's a lot of cookies <laughs> as long as i don't have to bake them all myself <laughs> we might be able to do something any other couple of items uh stephanie well, on a shoestring the, the last one is the internet and it's the, I think it's spoken about a lot. I think we all hear the word social media a thousand times a day. Um, but it is free. And if you have a concrete plan, it's important to have, yes, all the internet and your, your social media out there, but maybe to have a plan. So if you're running a campaign, if you're doing a community initiative, how will you leverage social media to make that community initiative present on the internet? So it's more than just, yeah, I have a Twitter account. It's cool. Don't worry about it. It's to actually make a plan of action. And don't downplay it because there are a lot of people online. A lot. Actually. Everyone, really. I just read today, it's only 24% of adult Americans that aren't on social media. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> so, Michael, as we as we come to the, to the last moments of the show, I guess we'll turn to you for yet again uh, uh, some words of wisdom. What advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? I think that my learnings this year have been a lot about listening, listening to uh, not just your, my customers, but uh, but also to uh, what's going on in, in the industry. Uh, that the food industry is changing uh, very rapidly. The uh, the way things are marketed. There's just there's so much learning and listening that you've got to do. Uh, I learn things every day, and 
And I've met enough entrepreneurs who say, no, no, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to do it my way. Well, you've got to be ready to adjust and, and, and change because things are changing faster and faster. Thank you very much, Michael and Dan. I'll, gi- I'll give you the, the takeaway I get from, from this show and, of course, from the shows throughout the entire year. And as we've listened to Michael and his phenomenal story over the last few years, reinventing yourself. I, I think I've said it before, but it, it requires emphasis. And whether you've been in business, you know, for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 132 years, as we've had one of our guests, it's about reinventing yourself. You cannot stay static. The population changes, your consumers change, technology changes, taste change. You must constantly reinvent yourself to make sure you keep progressing because if you don't, you'll stand still and worst case, fall back. So constantly reinvent yourself and you will succeed. Thank you, Josh. And thank you, Michael Eskenazi of Felix Norton. We'll check in probably next year uh, as well. And Stephanie Darwish of Fuller Landau uh, talking about marketing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. And Josh, we'll be back in January. See you in 2013. Uh, CJD time is coming up to 8 o'clock. Don't forget, you can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit www.flmontreal.com. This is Montreal's News Talk Leader, CJAD 800.